What's going on, everybody? It is that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 179 on this Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. Josh Callaway in Oklahoma City. Ryan Chapman. He's in Oklahoma City, too, at the station. John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? I'm doing awesome, man. Spring football's underway. And I'm just wondering... How bad, how how much is the price of real estate in Los Angeles that you can't afford or find somewhere that's dry so you can run a 40-yard dash for your NFL prospects? How much is real estate in L.A. if you can't find 40 yards to run a 40? Man. Well, it's just impressive that the school that has all these business opportunities for NIL, stuff like that, you're in the L.A. market, couldn't partner up with like a, a local gym that has the space to run a 40 and do some stuff but that seemed like a layup but uh things aren't always so easy on the west coast also related it never rains in southern california yeah i never really thought of uh the everest training center as being some amazing luxury that oklahoma has but apparently there's other blue bloods out there that do not have things quite like that so uh shout out oklahoma and uh the previous regime getting that thing built so we're gonna we're gonna talk a ton. Spring football's here. We've had press conferences, all that stuff. I'm gonna jump to shark. Sorry, Josh. Brent Venables, when talking about the new OU football facility that's coming, said they're they're the only top ten program in the country that the indoor facility is not connected to everything else that's going on. Brent Venables, low key, was he telling us that USC is not a top ten football program because they yes. just don't have an indoor? It sounds like. Yes, that's exactly what he was telling us. Uh, also, what's his metric for? Top ten, because you could you could that you you probably have twenty schools at some point that could make a claim. Oh, we're the only ones out in the top ten. I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting um, with the board of regents meeting last week and the descriptions that were coming out, the information coming out on the uh, student resources facilities that they're putting together. They're going to attach it to the Everest. Is that what we're being led to believe? Maybe there's a walking canopy or something, a, a covered kind of a walkway. That I, This is going to be interesting, the way this thing unfolds over the next couple of years. I always assume they were just going to take the existing track footprint that Everest is over there with the track. And if, if you've been to game days, not the last couple of years, pre-COVID, that area over there on the track was kind of used as the fan fest area for a little bit. I had just assumed that that was all going to go away and that Everest was going to be like the last thing that they just morphed into it. Because if you look at like Georgia, the, the indoor facility, the field is on one side of it. And then it's just this, it opens up into the facility as, as you kind of come across the footprint of, of the location. So I had wondered if there would be a way of like Everest stays, Everest stays. And the last step is to maybe knock off the roof on Everest yeah. Totally enclose it and, and just make it part of the uh, facility. Be interesting I, to I'll tell you what, I don't know we're sideways from the rundown that Josh sent out, but the way I understood it was it's going to be between where Everest sits right now and the stadium, and they're going to create some, uh, what would you call it, vestibule, some walking space, some to get across Jenkins to be able, you know, that's covered and maybe elevated, you know, maybe you have multiple uh, sidewalks that are elevated across Jenkins. So you no longer have to worry about traffic. That's just kind of what, uh, the latest I've heard and that they're going to continue to integrate where Everest is, uh, with that facility, with some kind of covered it's, it's whatever it is, it's going to be amazing. You could cover that whole thing, uh, structurally 
pretty pretty easily, I would think. But uh, then it's not necessarily in the stadium. It's not attached to the stadium or somewhat would be. But anyway, I'm rambling. Uh, shoot. It's going to be, like I said, it's going to be amazing <laughs> to watch what they do. Yeah. And as someone who's been covering this team now, this is my 20th year covering this team. Oh, crap. More construction. <laughs> Yeah, we don't need more of that. It just feels like we just got past the Lindsay Street being a mess yeah. in the war zone for so long. But yeah, uh, Thad Turnip Seed's on it. Thad's on it. Uh, the press mystery box. man. Press box, Thad. If I could make a small request, press box. <laughs> A.O. Thad. Press box. That's coming at some point. Um, no, it's not. You're right. Theoretically. Yeah. Theoretically. We've, we've buried the lead here per my handy dandy Google.com. The traditional anniversary theme for 20 years is China theme. So at the end of the year, does Josh, China. are you, are you expecting Josh and I to get you some sort of commemorative plate for your 20th year covering the Sooners? Uh, okay. <laughs> I'll take a plate. <laughs> we'll celebrate at Panda. At Panda Can I Express. eat or, off, uh, of this, off of said plate? That's the question. Sure. Mr. Queese on Lindsay street, Norman, you ever had that? Very good. No free sponsorships, but very good. Um, yeah, no, that segues nicely because I mean, Brent talked about probably the facility renovations as long as almost anything. Um, I had his press conference that he had on Monday. Like we said, spring football is underway. They practiced yesterday. Hoove and I were there and then Ryan joined us to talk to players and coordinators after practice. So we've had a lot the last couple of days. It feels like uh, the spring is nice. It's kind of like you're it's like season light. There's no games, but you get to talk to everybody regularly for a little while. Then you have the spring game at the end. So it's a nice little uh, introduction. Kind of feels like, I know winter workouts probably feel like it for the team, but we don't see those. We don't talk to them, you know, regularly during those. So the March, the spring kind of feels like the start of a new season, like a new ag- football year. You know what I mean? Like the NFL has a new league year. That's what it feels like whenever spring football starts. So we've turned the page now. We're on to the second year in Brent Venables. And this squad, this roster, we have a lot to talk about. And so we'll dive right in with Brent on Monday. Start with the big guy. He covered a lot of ground. Who you weren't at the presser, but you were listening and watching from afar. So you, you're abreast of everything he said. Ryan and I were there. What jumped out? I know it's kind of open-ended, but he talked uh, a lot about uh, a lot of different things. He covered, you know, injuries, things like that. We can get into that in a minute. Um not a whole lot on the position change front. Marcus Hicks flipping over from uh, defense to offense or offense to defense, excuse me. Other than that, not a whole lot on that kind of housekeeping type things, but he did cover a lot of ground. What stuck out from uh, what Mr. Venables had to say to kick off the spring on Monday? Yeah, just a, a lot, obviously. A lot of topics right. covered in 40, 42 minutes. Um, but, you know, off the top, it was injuries. Um, he just openly said, these guys are not practicing. These guys are going to be available at some point. These guys could be. Uh, Caden Helms, two tight ends, two of the four tight ends, to which yeah. Jeff Levy said last night, he's concerned about the depth at tight end. Uh, Caden Yesterday Helms had a knee patella thing. Real quick, Hoove. Yesterday at practice, Hayden Bray, defensive lineman, was out there catching passes with the tight uh, end. I'll move another position switch, okay, possibly. I don't know if that was just purely because like they don't have bodies because it was – Stogner, and then a young man who's a walk-on. His name's escaping me. I'll look it up in just a second. And then Hayden Bray, defensive lineman number 98, was out there catching passes with the tight ends. That was very interesting to me. I thought I don't know if that was just a bodies thing or an actual position change because Brendan say it on Monday, but that I think that goes to show where the tight end spot is right now. To yeah, Caden Helms is out, and Jason Llewellyn is out. Uh, one is a knee patella kind of thing. 
the way Dis- Venables described it on Caden Helms. And then Jason Llewellyn's got a foot issue, a growth plate issue in his foot. He's going to miss all the spring. We knew Eric McCarty was going to be out. Uh, I don't know if we knew Emeka Megwa was going to be available yet or not. He's not the transfer from Washington running back. He's got a knee issue from, uh, from when he played there. Uh, we knew Walter Rouse was going to be out. He's got labrum surgery on his shoulder uh, when he was at Stanford, so he's not competing. We knew Jacob Sexton was going to be out. Um, he revealed, Brent did, that it was an ACL uh, from the, uh, what, third play, I think, of the uh, of the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, other than that, we knew Trace Ford was going to be limited because of his injury history at Oklahoma State. Um, Calvin Gilliam, Jaden Rhodes, Shane Witter all have shoulder issues. They're progressing, he said. Uh, and then General Booty is in the way Venables described it, some kind of contraption to protect his finger that was dislocated. I love that. Uh, but he was out there throwing yesterday. Uh, interesting setup with the quarterbacks in the first day of practice that we were able to shoot and do video, which you can find at our website, all Sooners. Uh, the quarterback order uh, uh, progression is uh, Davis Bevel second team right now. As of right now, he's taking second team snaps. Jackson Arnold taking third team snaps and General Booty taking fourth team snaps. So uh, when I say like you're working with the fourth team, you're just the fourth guy in the progression. It's not anything to read too much into it or or whatever, but uh, that's they got to start somewhere. Day one, that's where they started. Yeah, Brent also touched on a guy we've talked about a couple of times, Gentry Williams, what he labeled officially the exertional collapse. Um Basically, he had said he's still got to undergo testing. I think we all expected that would be the case. They're going to ease him back in, obviously, with, with the scary situation. It was, I, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but we got to talk to a lot of the players about what was that situation like? Have, have you been through something like that? What was the team's response in the wake of what we all witnessed with Damar Hamlin? It, it, does that have a little extra... Um, concern add things like that and so it, it sounded like the the team was just happy that gentry's around good spirits all that stuff he, he just has to still clear some tests that brent middle talked about on monday that they're going to keep monitoring him so so once you get through that i mean for me the other two things that that brent Middles really touched on that stood out to me first off what, what my question was my big question kind of coming into spring is last year new coaching staff totally on defense new system and new offensive coordinator on offense spring was a lot of install get up to speed as quick as possible it was pretty disjoint as far as what the on the field product was in the fall all that to be expected right as far as first system both sides of the football what is that going to look like this year how is spring going to be different now that you have returning pieces in that defensive system and that offensive system and, and that something that Brent Venables talked a lot about is just yeah, everyone knows the expectation of how to practice. Everyone knows the drills. Everyone knows the, the coaching points, what they're looking for, and, and that'll speed it along. And, and I was told um, that like Danny Stutzman throughout the course of that practice was very vocal on this is how you finish drills. This is how you do this and that at Oklahoma under this defense. So that will be key considering they're breaking in 26 new faces in, in the early enrollees plus portal guys that are here for spring practice. And then the other thing that stood out is Brent Venables just came out was like, yeah, I think we're going to be a lot better in the secondary uh, on Monday, which I thought was really interesting just because signed seven guys brought in a, a transfer in Reggie Pearson. Like there are just so many new faces. The question's always, okay, a lot of talent, a lot of talent that you want. How quickly can you get those guys online? 
I thought for Brent Venables to already be like, yeah, I, I think we're going to be a lot better there was interesting because in the past we've heard like, yeah, we, we've got to get these linebackers in and and get them sorted and all that stuff. And it's not the immediate like, yeah, we're going to be a lot better at linebacker this year. It's kind of the Danny Stutzman's going to come through stuff like that. So I thought that he specifically pointed the secondary and was like, that's a place of improvement without even seeing a practice. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I feel like um, overall, uh, you know, there was a lot of questions to Brent in the vein and the, I don't know, uh, around the idea of what's different about year two. And if people kind of asked in different ways, and it felt like overall he kind of really always kind of downplayed doing anything differently. He kind of just felt like the he a lot of times just kind of point to the roster's better. We've done ways to improve things, and we're going to kind of stay the course. I think somebody asked yesterday, was it maybe Danny Stutzman too? We'll get to the players in a little bit, but I think somebody asked him, how is Venables different? at all in year two and he he's, he said he's not he's it's the you know it's the same just you know we kind of have a the players have a better understanding of what needs to be done now a little bit the second time around so I thought that was kind of interesting uh also with Brent you know him talking about the running back spot was interesting um because he made a good point he, he you know he talked about the fact that last year at this time and it, it is a fair point by him that we were kind of wondering would Eric Gray be able to step into that number one role after Kenny Brooks had moved on, obviously Eric Gray did with flying colors, had a tremendous season. So kind of feeling that, I think we all think that they have the talent there. We've talked about that before. Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuck, and 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 the like. These young guys, too, who look pretty good at practice, too, as well. Smothers and Hicks. But actually filling it in as the number one guy, it's kind of a different animal. So thought that was an interesting comment by him as well. And then also the putting too much on the freshman right away. Talked about that. Playing, playing with different positions or whatnot. Doesn't sound like that there's going to be a whole ton of fluidity with the young guys as they try to get acclimated. Um, just trying to get them up to speed and comfortable uh, at the at the college level. So he covered a lot of ground. Venables Presser's on there on allcenters.com uh, uh, as well as his YouTube page um, as well. Good stuff from Brent as always. Went for about 45 minutes. It's pretty sh- short for him. A little on the shorter end uh, for Brent because who wasn't there to ask him anything that would take 20 minutes? Well, we... Uh, we did have a moment of we are 15 minutes into this and like two questions had been asked. Oh. But if, if you remember Brent Venables, I, I know we laugh a lot about the length of the press conference. I do appreciate that, like at the start of spring, it seems like he does a OK, since the last time we talked. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. So like the first press conference of spring with all the injuries the before even asking him a question, Brent Venables had touched on injuries. He had touched on uh staff additions as far as analysts go he had touched on position changes or the lack thereof like it it was just hey take all that out of the way roll through that bad boy and uh, i appreciate just getting a a nice here are all the injuries yeah and and here are all the injuries and oh by the way not just like these guys are injured this is the injury they're dealing with it's uh still different i'm still getting used to that refreshing yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. So you covered a lot of ground. It's there for you in all centers.com. Uh, if you want to catch it, if you haven't yet. So, uh, yeah, we'll continue to hear. I assume we'll hear from Brent another time or two over the course of the spring before the actual spring game. Um, but a good, good catch up there with uh, coach Venables on Monday. Now we talked to coordinators and players yesterday, but before that we got to be at practice, which was nice. Um, Ryan was on the air at the time, so he wasn't able to be there, but Hoove and I were there as well as Ross, uh, Ross Lovelace was there as well. Got to see some guys in action for the first time. We talked about this a lot of the last couple of months, just looking forward to getting to spring and seeing who was impressive. And it's one practice, but there are some takeaways. 
I certainly had uh, a few things that jumped out to me. What about you, Hoove? We'll, 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 we'll go to you first. Things that stuck out to you, uh, seeing the guys actually run around a little bit yesterday. Yeah, so the the areas that we were confined to, you know, they mark them off, stay inside this red stripe, don't interfere, just stay 10 feet away from the drills, that kind of thing. I was out there taking a lot of pictures, um, so I didn't uh, get to see the whole thing. Uh, it was a nice stretch of time that we were there. It was like 40, 45 minutes, so we were exposed to a lot. But what I did was I stuck around a couple of coaches, three coaches, uh, Joe John Finley coaching the tight ends. Um, very I just love watching these guys work. You know, we get them in a, a press conference setting and they are professional and they present themselves in a certain manner and things like that. But when they're out there, even with cameras going, okay, when they're out there interacting face-to-face with their players, that's my favorite part of getting to do this job is to watch, is to see, okay, so we know their salaries, we know their career arcs, we know where they played, where they've been. Now we know when you see them up close and you see how they teach and you see how they interact with those players and you see with the players' eyes and they nod or they ask feedback or whatever it is, that's when you start to understand, okay, that's why Oklahoma hired this guy. That's why Brent Venables retained this guy. That's why Joe Stiglion's paying this guy $600,000 a year, whatever it is. Uh, DeMarco Murray was another one and Bill Biedenboe. The... Um, what's the word, the, the way that they kind of just illustrate things one piece at a time, very demonstrative, uh, very, um, ah, shoot. I can't think of the word I'm trying to use, but, uh, it's incredibly in depth, like beat and bow. I got, I stood in one place for like eight minutes. I got to see four snaps. I got to see the first team guy do two snaps. And then I got to see him switch and the second team guy got two snaps and then they switched sides to the left side and they did that same thing, two snaps here. And then they said, and you think, what's the big deal? That took like 10 minutes. Why did it take 10 minutes? Because Bill Biedenboe was stopping the drill every time going, no, no, I don't want your hands here. I want them here. Do you understand the difference? I don't want your hips here. I want them here like an inch. And he's such a perfectionist. Uh, DeMarco Murray was getting after guys for stepping wrong, um, not not getting their eyes around fast enough after they've caught a ball. It's just amazing to watch those guys work. That's really my favorite part of being able to cover practice. Bill Beanbow was getting after people. Yes, he was. I wasn't over the offensive line for very long, but he was – yeah, I had to – we'll say I had to censor some practice video that I put up a little bit. I was like, mm, I hear a little too much Bill in that one. I don't know if we can get away with that one. Ryan, about you? I know you weren't there, but you've seen clips and things. Anything that jumped out to you from what you saw from afar? Yeah, I, just seeing kind of the clips and stuff. Uh, Caleb Hicks is a guy that um, he's wearing number zero, right? And so I think a lot of people are going to mentally go, Eric Gray, zero, Caleb Hicks. What's that going to look like? Um, you, you saw that Bill Bean, or not Bill Bean, but sorry, DeMarco Murray and Jeff Levy were happy to ride with a guy in Javante Barnes that was a freshman running back that came in during the spring, was able to get up to speed. So I'm curious what that'll look like as far as uh, we know Barnes and Sawchuck are going to be the dudes. If Mark, if uh, Marcus Major's healthy, we know that he's he's trusted by Levy and DeMarco. I'll be interested to see just what that kind of looks like. And then uh, not really a, a practice thing, but gentlemen, we have an interior lineman in Derek LeBlanc that's going to wear number zero, and that is hot. That is just that is Pretty just sick. football. It's just 
chef's kiss. I give all of that. I'm here for, and I guess that's because I'm young, but give it to me. Pretty sick. Pretty sick. Also, Dalen Smothers too. Uh, I thought looked good, and he's wearing seven. That's a that's a ballsy move to have wear your position coach's number. You got to represent if you're going to do that. Um, I thought he looked pretty good out there running around catching passes. There were some other number shenanigans too. Um, Billy Bowman. It's going to mess me up until like week six next year. Billy Bowman is now wearing two. And then Woody Washington is wearing five, which really threw me for a loop. I was like, whoa, Billy's with the cornerbacks. He also looks weird. No, it was Woody. Um, and Billy now wears two. They talked about it. It's just as simple as Aguebu left. So two is available. Billy Bowman wanted two. And then Woody always wanted five. So it was just, just some shifting there. And then Derek LeBlanc got zero, evidently. So it all kind of just moved around. But as far as what the guys actually look like, I had a few uh, things that jumped out to me. Of course, naturally, there was a lot of attention as to seeing Jackson Arnold throw around a little bit. Not that we haven't seen him throw before, but actually seeing him do it in the OU helmet just <laughs> felt a little different. Um, He's wearing number he looked, 10, by the way. Number 10. Um, I thought he looked kind of like a freshman his first spring practice in some ways. He had some really nice throws. We know he's a talent, but he was probably one of the more inconsistent guys. I thought he had, he had a few that uh, you know got away from him a little bit, were a little high and wide or, or whatever. It's his first practice. First practice. But he had a lot where, I mean, we already know. Ryan and I were at Elite 11 last year, who was in Orlando. We've seen him throw in person many times. Super, super talented. But, uh, yeah, I actually thought General Booty had a pretty nice uh, look from the little side. By the time I was with the quarterbacks, and Dylan Gabriel looks sharp, but that much we know he's played a lot of college football. Um, elsewhere, I, I thought probably the biggest standout for me of anybody, and I was walking around a lot trying to get to every position at least a little bit, but I thought Reggie Pearson looked really good. Um, the, the Texas Tech transfer, of course. Obviously, we know we can hit. We saw him do that to Dylan Gabriel in person last year in Lubbock, but he was moving around, and – he ran down a ball. I, I, I tweeted the clip out. He ran out a ball. They were throwing like kind of over the shoulder chances for them to run down a, a ball like for an interception. That was way overthrown. It was like, oh, he's not going to run that down. And he did. He ran it down, caught it over the shoulder. Really nice play on the ball. I, just the way he moved around and the way he was hitting the, you know, the dummies or whatever, I liked it. I liked it. It's one practice, but I, I think he's going to be an impact player in a big way uh, for Oklahoma next year, which I kind of thought that already, but that was reinforced with, with seeing him out there at practice yesterday. And then also just the other young guys that you, you were excited to see. Peyton Bowen looked good, I thought, moving around. And uh, P.J. Adebore, God, that guy is going to be a monster whenever he puts more weight on. Because he is so tall and relatively skinny. I mean, he's not skinny, but relatively. And, uh, yeah, his arms are just so long. <laughs> They're just so long. He was getting in it with, I think it was Marcus Stripling. And they were kind of pushing back and forth, and it was like, I mean, it was like he could hold Stripling like a, a mile away, it felt like almost, because his arm was just so long. So it was fun getting to see all those new guys. Um, there are certainly some that I wish I got to see that I just d didn't because you're just moving around so much. And I didn't even think about it until after, like, you know, I really didn't see Bothroyd at all or whatever. And so that'll be uh, looking forward to the next practice. It was also sneaky hot out there. I was not ready for that. It was. Sweating? I was sweating. Yeah, it was. Uh, deliberate was the word I was looking for a few minutes ago, talking about Bill Beatenbow and the way he coaches guys. It takes him a minute to get through one rep because he's talking and teaching and telling. Uh, a quick uh, aside, though, we got to see a little bit of special teams, guys, and one of the uh, special teams thing that caught my eye, if OU fans like punt returns, 
you know, the big long ones, the exciting ones that change games, hey, keep an eye on Andrell Anthony. He was out there returning punch yesterday. He's going to get a shot to return punts. He's very fast and uh, can catch the football, obviously. So that could be exciting. Also, Austin Stogner. That was nice to see him out there catching passes, too. Just kind of cool. And uh, he's got the number switcheroo, which is also going to take a little getting used to. But uh, good to see him back out there, too. It was cool. to get to see and see practice. The playlist did not get any update. It was the same playlist. So, Ryan, you didn't miss anything there. Um, everything you could think that was played, it was played. And uh, it was nice. And I'm sure we'll get to get out to practice again at least a couple more times, probably, over the course of the spring. And we'll keep, uh, keep a lookout for who stands out as we go along. So we're going to take a time out here. Ryan, do you have anything you wanted to add there? I was just going to say, my biggest question was if the boys were, in fact, back in town. For they were practice. back in town. So right I think that answer. Big time. After which, of course, they kick-started Brent Venable's heart. <laughs> With a little Motley crew. <laughs> That's the standard. The defend best it. the standard. Defend it. Team 129. Defend it. Same <laughs> even, the, even, the, uh, even the playlist has got to defend it. All right, we'll take you a guys, time out. You guys may think I'm joking, but I'm an old 80s hair metal head, so... That is absolutely the standard. I'm not joking. <laughs> well, it is funny hearing like the boys are back in town and then Migos pipe it up like right after it's like <laughs> the, the back and forth. It was really like this is a hodgepodge of a uh, of a playlist. But it's, the, it. it's the one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. Honestly, that's kind of that's kind of how it went. Uh, pretty good. I mean, you mix in. It's, it's a bit of a mixed bag out there in terms of the personalities and the ages. You add in the coaches, so you gotta gotta appease everyone. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. More to get to with spring practice. Spring football is underway in Norman. We got to hear from uh, Rebby, uh, Rebby, Lebby, and Roof last night, as well as uh, a uh, a slew of players. So we'll recap that and got some other housekeeping items as well on the football side. Coming next, right here on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, it's John Hoover from my friends at Trade Pros. Spring's right around the corner, and you're going to need to make sure your air conditioning system is running right. So right now, through the end of March, Trade Pros is offering a $25 spring tune-up. Now, that's a $100 value, but this month only, $25. The spring tune-up is a comprehensive preventive maintenance check. They're going to do a full system diagnostic. They're going to check your Freon levels. They're going to make sure that your amperage on your system is where it's supposed to be. Heating and air systems can be complicated, and you want to know that your electronics are running at peak efficiency as the weather gets warmer. So just call Michael at Trade Pros, 405-593-1585, or go to tradeprosokc.com. I think it's time to call Trade Pros today. I think it's time to call Trade Pros today. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover. I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two here on this Wednesday in March. Spring football is underway, like we talked about in the first segment. We heard from Brent Venables on Monday. Got to go to practice yesterday, and then after practice, we got to hear from Jeff Levy, Ted Roof, and a collection of players as well. Let's go ahead and recap that a little bit. We were all there for that. We'll start with the coordinators, Jeff Levy, Ted Roof. I kind of listened in as best I could on Jeff Levy. I was at Ted Roof's scrum. Levy, I was kind of on the outskirts, but I heard most of it. You guys were both in there, in the thick of things. 
what jumped at you from Mr. Levy or Mr. Roof or uh, or both, either way, however you want to take it. Oh, a lot jumped out about Jeff Levy. <laughs> um, one of the things he said was uh, he got a question about um, he got a question about the running backs, the young running backs that he has, which we've already talked about coming back. For instance, Sawchuck last year kind of debuted in the bowl game, and, and he was like, uh, you know, were you surprised? And he said, yeah, because you're around these guys and you see them in practice and you just don't know. So uh, the fact that they kind of dusted him off and rolled him out for the bowl game and he goes for 100 yards is like, oh, hey, hey, we got that too, you know, kind of feeling for the coaching staff. Um, he talked about, uh, you know, we, we asked Jeff, uh, we asked Joe Castiglione last week at the board of regents meeting about, uh, coaches, ex contract extensions. A couple guys got a raise. Jeff Levy's raise was already written into his contract. So he didn't get a raise for last year, but he was, you know, writ like I said, written a hundred thousand dollars written into his contract previously. He was out there flirting around with, uh, some schools reportedly Alabama was among them. Remember we talked about it on the podcast, the possibility yep. that Nick Saban was going to bring him on as offensive coordinator. Uh, he didn't do that. He went with Tommy Reese after Bill O'Brien left. Uh, so Levy got a question yesterday about his commitment to Oklahoma because Joe Stiglione said just the week before we are committed to these coaches. We are committed to making sure they're, um, rewarded for their efforts and recruiting and, and, the whole total package. Uh, we love our coaches. We've got a great coaching staff is what Joe Castiglione said. So Jeff last night after practice, got a question or two or three or four about uh, his commitment to Oklahoma. And he just was extremely effusive about his, as you can imagine, his alma mater. I love this place. I love being here. I love sitting in the chair. I got to sit in that chair, by the way, if it's that great of a chair, I got to sit in <laughs> Jeff Levy's chair at some point in my career. No, but he said, uh, I love being here. It's my alma mater. I asked him specifically, what What do you love about this place? What is it about this place that makes you um, so loyal to it? And he just said, I've had experiences here and, you know, he's met family here, stuff like that. So uh, he's just extremely happy to be here. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, he's very concerned about the, uh, the depth in the tight end room. There's a lot of things. One of the questions I asked was about Marvin Mims is an offense better with a thousand yard receiver? And Jeff Levy said, our offenses are always better with a thousand yard receiver. He said 15, we've had 15,000 yard receivers in the hist in 13 years uh, of me being an offensive football coach. And they're always more explosive when you have a thousand yard receiver. So finding that next guy, as I asked Jalil Farouk, and I think a couple other people did yesterday as well about being that guy on the offense. Can you be a thousand yard receiver? Can you be that alpha dog? And, uh, Jeff Levy was, he did not hesitate. He said, yeah, my offense is always better when we got a thousand yards receiver. That's just a couple of things that stand out to me. Yeah. He also talked about not just loving Oklahoma, things like that, but loving the people he works with every day on that coaching staff and how, um, Emmett Jones factors into that. The new wide receivers coach. That's someone that Jeff Levy was very familiar with from, you know, time recruiting at Baylor, recruiting last year to Oklahoma, things like that. And so I thought that that'll be interesting as we get to to meet with Emmett Jones here over the next couple of weeks for the first time, that process of him fitting in. And then uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting for Jeff Levy is that he's like, yeah, expecting a, a jump from Dylan Gabriel, even in year two at Oklahoma, just because he's a guy that played a lot of college football, but it is a jump going from UCF into the big 12. And now that he's had a year of that, a year of dealing with just the Oklahoma quarterback experience, I mentioned, I'm, I'm always fascinated to see when you've got 
a guy like that because across college football, a lot of the storylines become a transfer quarterback in year two. That's when you take huge step forward, things like that. Last year, the really popular guy was Hinden Hooker that, that was on that plan. So I'm always curious with a guy like Dylan Gabriel, who it's his second spot, second year at a new spot in Oklahoma, but he's a guy that had played a ton of football before that. It's not like the relative unknown of, of some of the transfer quarterbacks. So I'm interested to see how close to Dylan Gabriel's ceiling was he operating last year or can year two at Oklahoma see him take significant steps forward because obviously that'll have a lot to do with what the win total is going to be this fall. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add um, in regards to Ted Roof. Uh, obviously, if, you, if you've watched Roof's press conferences or been around for the last year, you know that he's, he's a very reserved individual. Doesn't really offer a lot of scalding quotes by any means. Um, he did cover some ground, uh, though, as well. I mean, he, he downplayed a little bit the fact, you know, in very Ted Roof fashion, he was very hesitant to say anything too bold one way or another because he would a lot of times revert back to the it's first practice. We're out here in shorts. Let's get the pads on. Things like that. He did say that he, you know, and we're talking to you who about he, he liked what they got in the transfer portal, thought they made some nice additions there. But again, he was like, we'll have to wait and see. So he didn't give a whole lot on that front. Um, but he did cover some ground, uh, Mr. Mr. Roof. Uh, not, and I don't mean in a disparaging way, not exactly a quote machine, Ted Roof. Um, so, but we'll hear from him more as the uh, spring goes on. As well, what about the player side of things? We, we heard from a lot of players. Now, this is one where we got not quite, obviously, at all to the extent of the February media day, but we got a lot of different players yesterday. We covered a lot of ground, so not all of us got to hear from every guy uh, by any means. So from the players that you heard of or heard from, what stuck out? What uh, what were some takeaways on, on that front? Uh, real quick, t- take you back a step uh, to Ted Roof. Uh, the okay. question that I asked was specifically about how assistant coaches give the head coach feedback on their transfer portal mm-hmm. desires or evaluations. I, I've just always been fascinated. And so yesterday I decided to ask Ted Roof about that. You know, how does the coaching staff work? He's specific to this year's coaching staff, at least. They evaluate film. They know guys from when they recruited him in high school or junior college or whatever it is. Uh, they've, they've seen him play on TV or maybe they played against him, you know, in a game. They give you an evaluation if you're the head coach. The, your assistant coaches give you their evaluation, their opinion, their feedback on a specific guy. And then the way he phrased it was very interesting to me. If they fit within our team, within our culture, within our um, standards. Uh, and he specifically said, off the field. So I thought that was interesting. Right. Uh, they'll look at a player. Can this player help us? Do we have a need? Yes, we do. Is this player someone who can help us? Yes, he is. Is he a cultural fit? Eh, no, not necessarily. Okay, pull him out. On to the next guy. I, I found that very interesting uh, in just in terms of talking with Ted Roof and finally getting some clarity on how this staff evaluates the transfer portal because they got a lot of guys in the transfer portal. And I asked him, I said, "You, how do you guys feel like you did? And he goes, well, it's day one of spring practice. We don't know yet. And a lot of guys are, are coming in hurt or d- haven't contributed yet, so we don't know. Right. So he's being completely honest, which I love. Um, so the – Here's just to lay it out for you guys. I think we had seven total interviews, two coordinators and five players. Um, I was in on all of one player and parts of two others, Danny Stutzman and Jaleel Farouk. But I got to be with um, Woody, Woody Washington for about eight minutes, I think it was, was the time of the full interview. 
So I haven't had a chance here as we're now just a few hours removed. It's the next morning, so to speak, after these interviews last night. So I haven't had a chance to watch them all yet. So i got to get in there and watch them all, which I would recommend you guys do at allsooners.com. We got all of them posted. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, when you talk about Woody, uh, one of the things he talked about, he got some questions from about uh, Gentry Williams, and he described the process that Gentry Williams had the exertional collapse and basically passed out, fainted, stopped, whatever it was. Uh, he said he fell out of a drill. They were doing a tug of war and um, he fell out. He said, I've never seen that before. Although I was with my grandmother when she passed, like these, it's, it's, I'm telling you guys, it's, you don't expect to go to a football practice and hear Woody Washington tell you he was with his grandmother when she passed. It's like, wow, some deep stuff. So yeah, a lot of topics from Woody, um, including just, one of the things that he wants to really improve on this year, and that is his football IQ, which he's learning a lot, he said, in year two now from Jay Belay. There, He's really improving his football mind and learning about why cornerbacks do things so specifically. Uh, that's just a couple of things that jumped out at me. Yeah, for me, Billy Bowman, I thought the huge takeaway from him was how he, he was quick to volunteer that, yeah, year two in this system – Day one, he could already feel how much faster he and his veteran member, you know, Woody, Key Lawrence, Jaden Davis, those guys that were there last year and and were in the mix a ton, how much faster they're processing things, which again, I'll be fascinated to probably circle back maybe week two or three of spring and be like, how much time has has this team saved by Everyone, it's a lot faster, so you can get to those coaching points a lot faster instead of merely just, actually, Billy, you need to be over here, you're two yards off this, that, or the other. I'm just curious how much more coaching they're going to have done this spring as opposed to just install, basically. And so I thought that stood out. And then you flip over to Jalil Farouk. A lot of what he was asked about is, okay, Marvin Mims is gone. You ready to kind of step up and take that mantle as the top dog, as, as kind of that productive member of the wide receiver room? And Jillifrook, I, I wouldn't clarify or classify what he says like shying away from it. it was, he was very much, he just came off as almost indifferent of like, if I'm the top guy, that's what's asked to me. Awesome. I'm just here to get better as a wide receiver and do whatever the team needs, whether that's catch a thousand yards or just be a situational guy. You didn't say that, but. You just got this very, and Jill's a quiet guy. I was just interested to see if you saw a little bit more edge. And, and that's not to say he's not confident, but he seemed very giddy and excited about Emmett Jones and what he's going to bring as far as getting in and out of breaks. That was the big thing that he talked about a couple of times with me. But it was just interesting to see Jill Fruit not just be like, yeah, I want to be that thousand yard guy. He was still very much, a, we've got a lot of talent in this wide receiver room and however we get it done is however we're going to get it done. I was disappointed in, in uh, to, to some degree in Danny Stutzman reeling it back in the way he did after he's got the camera and the microphone and he's asking Brent Venables, coach, what's your favorite animal? Uh, he's going around doing the, the yeah. roving reporter thing when we got to talk to all the newcomers, 25 newcomers in one day. And, and Danny Stutzman was the star of the show. And then we put the camera on him, turn the lights on and hold the mic out. He's all like, I uh, just want to do the best we can to help the team and be a, a, a team player. I'm like, come on, man, we need you, Danny. We need you, bro. Where, yeah, where, I was over. Where's Dolphin yeah, Danny from the Alamo Bowl? We we need Dolphin Danny back. Onward, my blue chariot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> I was over at uh, Mr. Daniel Stutzman's uh, scrum for the for the length of it, and um, yeah, I mean he 
he is the leader of the team. Um, I think that's become pretty clear. Um, him and I guess you would loop in Dylan Gabriel uh, as well. But I mean, we were at practice day. Who they're doing the the stretches and and Stutzman is leading leading them. Um, he's shot a chance that the guys are then saying back to him. He was running the show, and obviously, like who uh, referenced there, he is doing the the video things that OE Football keeps tweeting out, which are actually pretty good. Those things are usually kind of corny. Those are pretty funny, in my opinion. Um, he's he's the kind of the face of the team and, and running the show. And he acknowledged that yesterday. I mean, he already was kind of doing that. But now when you loop in the fact that Deshaun White is gone, that David Aguebu is gone, you know, some of these other veteran players on the defense, yeah, especially in his position, are gone. He is stepping into that uh, as, you know, really kind of taking everybody under their wing. Like, he, he, I feel like he takes it as a personal responsibility to Jaron Kanick and Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie to, like, get those guys up to speed. You know, so he's a bit of a goofball. We know that. But he is pretty mature, I think, in some ways, too. And uh, you can tell Brent Venables loves him and things like that. So he's going to be a big part of this team. Uh, they'll go as far as he can take them in some ways. Uh next year on the defensive side. So excited to see that yeah. um, for, for Danny. He's taken that, uh, that mantle from Justin Broyles just in terms of being the yeah, team's inspirational leader, the, the go get them guy when practice starts. I mean, they, they stopped stretching. Here's what they did. Everybody broke up. They stretched and everybody got in their little, and they're playing the music nice and soft. And then all of a sudden they stop everything and everybody turns and looks at in the center, and here comes Danny Stutzman walking down the middle, and he's doing the shout and the chant and getting everybody up and let's go. And then he takes his spot back, and then they crank the music up, and it's kickstart my heart. And it's like, okay, now we're ready. Now we've had our Justin Broyles scream at everybody, you know, passing the torch to Danny Stutzman to do it. I thought that was a that was an interesting dynamic as well. I was driving in yesterday, and I heard Teddy Lehman say on the ref that uh, over the back half of the season last year, there's no doubt that Danny Stutzman was the best player on the defense. I don't think there's any doubt. I completely agree with what Teddy says. Uh, and I think everybody is starting to realize that, that this team is will go as far as Danny Stutzman and his ability and his leadership and his style of play on the field, his productivity takes them. 100%. 100%. So excited to see Danny Moore uh, over the course of the spring. I think we're going to hear from him a lot. Maybe not in the spring necessarily, but in the season, he's going to be a leaned-on individual uh, on the uh, defensive side when it comes to uh, media, things like that. Also, and I sh- probably should have mentioned it when we're talking about the open practice thing, uh, I asked Stutzman about Dasan McCullough, who obviously was out there practice today, very physically imposing. I didn't get to see him a lot, but just him walking around is like, okay, yeah, football player. Um, I asked Danny about him yesterday specifically and just the addition of him. And uh, he had kind of a an interesting way that he worded it that I that stuck with me. He said, "When he fits, he's gonna fit." It's how Stutzman described Asan McCullough because he admitted he acknowledged that you know it's hard to pick up the defense. He's in the first year of this that you know you know like we talked about a lot last spring. Everybody's learning it. McCullough is in that process now, but you could tell that uh, when I asked Stutzman about McCullough that there was a uh, yeah he's a beast kind of a thing. So excited to see him more as well. Um, I, I'm going to look for him more next open practice. I'm going to pay more close attention to uh, Desan because he is such a physically imposing guy. And he he's someone that I think we're all excited to see actually play play some games when that time comes. Yeah, that's something that Woody Washington was asked too, and he basically echoed the. You got the sense that from workouts, everyone realized, yeah, this dude's a dude. 
But yeah. he immediately was like, day one, you can tell he's still trying to figure out where to go, things like that. So I think that'll be a learning curve because we saw Deshaun White last year. He was a guy, I think it's easy to forget that he was moved out to Cheetah during fall camp. So it's not like he underwent an entire spring, things like that. And that was a spot where while everyone's learning the new defense, Deshaun White was able to have one of the best years of his career, bouncing out to Cheetah, kind of playing in space, things like that. So I'll be interested to see with McCullough having an entire spring and then fall, um, what that baseline looks like once Arkansas State rolls around versus what it will look like at that jump he can take November when, when you know, uh, mm-hmm. it'll have been basically a whole season in it. We have just scratched the surface on a spring football coverage. We're going to have a lot more. We've just begun um, over the next you know month or so. So keep up with allcenters.com. We'll have so much there for you as we go along. We're talking to more players tomorrow along with some assistant coaches. I think the expectation is that we're going to get Emma Jones very soon, if not tomorrow. So keep up with all Sooners and Who's YouTube page for all the latest uh, from spring camp. Some other housekeeping items here on the football side before we move on to some other sports in the final segment. We talked about last week, Baker Mayfield has himself a new team. He's going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Baker is in full effect. The Baker-Neers, if you will, are in full effect. He was introduced this week. So he got a chance to talk about just the process and being with his new squad. Last week on the show, we found out that Baker was going to the Bucks literally like as we sat to record. Um, so we talked about it a little bit. It was very initial, just gut reactions. We've had a week now. What are some thoughts um, after hearing Baker speak and just kind of letting it wash over you some more about what's ahead uh, for Mr. Mayfield here and uh, what's going to be obviously the biggest year of his career? Yeah, I thought it was interesting, Josh. Um, you know, we got to hear from Baker earlier this week, uh, talking. He had a press conference, introductory press conference there in Tampa. Um, he said uh, he talked about his career up to this point, and especially last year when he was on the roster of three different mm-hmm. teams. He said it's been a struggle. He said it's definitely been a struggle. He said uh, there were times that you're you look in the mirror and you're you're thinking to yourself, "All right, what's next? What do I need to do?" Uh, he says you have to relate it to what you're doing and your success. Um, I thought that was interesting that Baker Mayfield taking a step back and looking in the mirror. Um, not that he's above that or anything, but uh, here's the former number one pick who has absolutely flat out been humbled. He's been shipped uh, twice now, and uh, he's on to his fourth team, fourth NFL team. So uh, the Rams wanted him. The Rams wanted him as uh, Matt Stafford's backup, but uh, he wants a starting job, and he thinks he's got a good op- opportunity. He's got some good wide receivers. If that offensive line is healthy, which they weren't last year, but if that offensive line is ha- healthy in Tampa Bay, they've got a lot of talent on that offensive line. So he's he's confident that this is the right place for him, but he said explicitly, and I was very surprised by the way he came out and just the some of the words he used. Mm. He said, listen, I'm not going to be Tom Brady. There's a reason he's won so many Super Bowls. He's the greatest of all time. There's no doubt about that. I'm not going to try to be Tom. I'm going to be me. So he said, that's what's gotten me to this point. So I, I just find that interesting. I've heard a lot of com- complaining or criticism of Baker that, that uh, you know, chip on your shoulder, let's go uh, type of stuff doesn't work in the NFL. Tom Brady was invented LFG, let's freaking go, right? He invented that. Uh, that was his calling sign before every game. Of course it works in the NFL. Of course, th- listen, you put good players around Baker Mayfield, you put him in a system that – uh, allows him to grow as a quarterback, I think he's going to be fine. You put him in a place like Cleveland that's a, a cesspool for football 
or you put them in a place like Carolina that was absolutely rebuilding, or the Rams, who had one of the worst rosters in the NFL last year, the worst record for any Super Bowl defending Super Bowl champion in history last year. I'm not knocking my Rams. You guys know I love my Rams, but it is what it is. You go all right. in on the Super Bowl, and the next year you're going to suck the way they did. So uh, none of that was good for Baker. I think being in Tampa is going to be a lot better for him. Yeah, and you touched on some of the stuff in the press conference. I'd be interested to see, uh, maybe this is grasping at straws, or maybe this is a great story idea for the Tampa Bay beat. Uh, either way, Baker Mayfield was at Oklahoma for a really big transition, going from Bob Stoops to Lincoln Riley, where the old adage of you never want to follow a legend, all that stuff. And he got to see Lincoln go through that. And we know that Baker and Lincoln are very close. There's a reason that Lincoln acted like Baker died when he had to suspend him for one series, right? Uh, the team followed suit. Those guys were... Yeah, those guys were very close. I'd just be interested to see, maybe pick Baker's brain of, now that he's a, a little bit older, has some context, did, did he does he look back and see anything of how Lincoln handled that transition of suddenly you're the guy? Because it, for Baker, it'll be a little bit easier because it's not like Tom Brady had spent you know 20 years in Tampa Bay and then you're the guy. But you're still following Tom Brady. I'm just kind of curious to see if if he has any insight on, and, and maybe that's where that belief in I can't be Tom Brady. I just have to be me, and that's all I can. But I'm curious if that's where that kind of came from. So uh, it'll be interesting to track as that goes. Like we kind of talked about last time, very similar preseason conversation to Carolina. The difference is probably a little bit better weapons at the receiver spot, and. Mm he'll obviously have way more time to learn that playbook as opposed to just kind of getting tossed over there in the middle of the summer, like he did with Carolina. Something that that I, you know, kind of forgot, not forgot, but make sure we have an appreciation for the general public with Baker. And he referenced in his presser, you guys remember how long it took to get him on a new team last year? I, I looked it up. He wasn't traded to the Panthers until July. Yeah. So he sat around a long time not knowing where he was going to play next year. This year it's March. And just that alone is a big difference. And I, you know, I've been kind of taken with the um I guess how excited the, the Bucks seem to be uh to have him. And you know, there's been a lot of talk that he's kind of just the guy. I mean, he, he like he is just going to be the quarterback there, which we we all fear he will be. We don't really think that highly of the other quarterbacks on that roster, but that's been kind of cool to see. So I, I, it's kind of just nice to see a fan base be excited about Baker and a team because he's had a rough go of it, you know, the last few years or so. And then how about going back to your Rams, who the thank you graphic he played five games there, yeah, but he got a thank you edit. All right, I respect that. How about that? That's going to make him feel feel nice. You, you know, you make an impact when you you get a thank you edit after five games. Not too not too shabby. Not too shabby for Baker. So we'll see. Look forward to uh, seeing him actually get out there and play next year. Not too shabby. And you get a thank you edit when you uh, win a game on 48 hours notice. Like, I think that should just be the rule. If you're a quarterback <laughs> and you win a game on, if you're basically playing backyard football for three quarters and they go, oh crap, in the fourth quarter, let's figure this out, you should get a thank you edit. Like, well earned. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, Tampa Baker. And we'll see what happens. Last week on the show, I wasn't too, you know, high on it, but, you know, there are worse spots he could have went, I guess. So we'll see. And like we talked about, that division is pretty crappy, uh, as uh, I know very well, um, being a fan of the Atlanta Falcons. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens moving into uh, next year for Baker. Last thing on the football side, and we'll take a uh, timeout. 
Other little housey bad. This is pretty cool. Adrian Peterson, Texas Hall of Fame. Now, I mean, we could have probably booked this like 15 years ago that this would happen at some point. Uh, but still cool to see it actually being, um, you know, going down. He's going to get inducted in the class of 2023. You know, for my money, one of the greatest both college running backs of all time and NFL running backs uh, of all time. Top five or so. And uh, pretty cool. Who have you got to cover the guy? It's got to be pretty neat uh, for him and his family and Oklahoma fans uh, whenever that uh, induction does come. Yeah, April 15th down in Waco, Texas at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. You better get your tickets now because it's a pretty good class. Uh, Robert Brazil's going in. Um, uh, who was the – Jose Cruz is going in. There's a bunch of them. A couple of Olympians. Listen, if you go into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, that's pretty good. Because Texas has what? Dallas Cowboys, Houston Oilers, Houston Texans, Houston Astros, Houston Rockets, Dallas Mavericks, right? You got all these professional teams, the Rangers. You got all these major league, big-time professional teams. And Adrian Peterson, who never played in college or in the pros in Texas, he's going in, uh-huh. right, for what he did in high school. So that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I just, it, it's an incredible honor for him. And I am very excited for when they're going to have to add to the plaque for when he comes out of retirement to join Aaron Rodgers at the Minnesota Vikings here in two years to complete Aaron Rodgers' Brett Favre arc. I think that that's going to be an incredible addendum to his plaque. <laughs> and uh, as someone that just, for Adrian Peterson to still have this impact when he played the running back position and the course of football and what running backs are expected to do totally changed on him and until he finally started to get injured he was still someone that teams were bringing in right at the very end and and so I think that just shows more than anything the talent level that he has because right now other than that it's like Derrick Henry is the only dude in the league that's doing it the way that like he did it where, where he stuck around for so long I think that as long as well as a ton of other stuff speaks to just how good he was. Anytime somebody posts that same like two minute highlight reel of him uh, at OU, it gets passed around all the time. It ends up on my timeline in some form or fashion, like every like couple of months. I have to watch it. It's just so ridiculous how that man can be so big and just destroy people and then just run away from people. It's just not, not normal. I also love all the old score bugs in that video because it just makes me feel things yeah. like the old ABC <laughs> and, and things like that. The fact that I used to play games on TBS occasionally, that was a thing for a little while, which is just like a mind blower every time you see it. <laughs> Adrian Peterson, so, so good. All right, we'll take a time out here and we'll come back. Other sports to hit, a little bit about uh, basketball, housekeeping items there as well. Winning hey, season is over and we'll wrap up the Diamond Sports as well on the way out. Coming up next right here in the final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners.
final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 179. Hit some other sports here on the way out. Send you into your late March weekend. Men's hoops. First off, how's your guys' brackets looking? In good shape? I told you last week it was liberating not doing a bracket. That's three years in a row. <laughs> I, do a bracket. A bracket. I thought you might cave and do one anyway and you just no, lied. No, no interest. Uh, plus, I, I caught like every game on the first Thursday. And then I miss like the next three days doing, uh, you know, 77s and it's work. Yeah, it's work. like, dang, I missed all those upsets. So, uh, right. go fairly Dickinson. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm in like the 77th percentile. So that's not like great. Not okay. awful. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the final four, I've still got, um, I had. Alabama, Texas, and UConn still alive. I had Duke coming through the region that Kansas State is who I would pick to win now. So three out of four coming into the Sweet 16. I'll take that. Same, same. Uh, Bama, Houston, and UConn are alive. But then, yeah, Marquette really let me down. Damn you, Marquette. Shaka Smart. Should know not to believe in Shaka Smart. The numbers for him in the tournament since that VCU run are shockingly bad. I couldn't believe that. He's like one and eight in the last nine tournament games or something. Something like crazy like that. So note to self, don't pick Shaka Smart teams anymore. I think now, that's why uh, Texas athletic directors are thinking about that too. <laughs> very true. And they're in the Sweet 16 with an interim who they still haven't given the job to. Bizarre, bizarre situation there. What does he got to do? Just hire the guy. He's, they're winning. Players like him. Hire the guy. What are we doing? All right. Now, tying it into uh, – men's hoops on the local front another guy in the portal for oklahoma bj and cortez local kid kingfisher kid makes number three um it was reported whenever that was time is mush but he just announced it officially like 15 minutes ago um on uh social media officially putting his name into the transfer portal this was expected i, I think by most uh didn't have a great season took some time away uh for for we believe mental health reasons was very supportive, Porter Moser was. He did actually come back and finish the season. But there was always some thought. He may hit the portal, kind of similar to C.J. Nolan in, in some regards. Long Kruger recruit, you know, came in, gave it two years. Hasn't He had some moments, but not starting or anything like that. He's going to see what he can find uh, at another spot. So B.J. Cortez hits the portal. He's number three. He joins Nolan and uh, Benny Schroeder. What do we make of it? Uh, I, I was a little taken aback by the fan reaction to this. It was like a mini meltdown uh, a little bit, even though I kind of felt like this was expected. Fans seemed to be a little on the kind of not pleased at all uh, with this one. What, what What's your reaction to uh, to this uh, decision by Bijan? Well, clearly they're not pleased uh, because you lose uh, a local player, another local player, right? You you miss a couple mm. in recruiting that go off to other schools, and then you finally get one. You bring one in, and what does he do? He's here two years, and he transfers out. You guys told me uh, off the air, so to speak, in January we were talking in between our breaks, and I remember you telling me, yeah, Bijan Cortez is transferred. might have been December. might have been December, the December podcast that we did. You guys were like, Bijan's. He's out of here. I'm like, what? Why would you say that? He's playing. He's doing this. He's doing that. No, body language, this and that. So mm. you were right. Uh, and it goes back to uh, way back then. Um, uh, it's disappointing because you'd like to see you'd like to see local kids do well. Um, 
And he had, like you said, Josh, he had lots of moments where it was just like, oh my gosh, he he literally was the only player on the floor at that moment who could have pulled off what he did. He's got some crazy moments where you watch him and you're like, wow, that's really, I, I didn't see, as I'm watching this game on TV or I'm watching it in person, I didn't see that opportunity, but he, he saw that pass or he saw that defensive rotation yeah. or whatever it was, stepped in the lane. So a very instinctive player, high level of thinking and uh, basketball IQ. It just didn't pan out for him. I would like to have seen him finish his career at OU, but not going to happen. Yeah. I feel like the, the, the meltdown or or the, the discourse on social media, it it always gets framed in like the, there's the pro Porter, give him time. And there's the anti Porter. I was like, I think there's important context, like CJ Nolan and, Bijan Cortez were Lon Kruger recruits who stayed, right? So I I don't know if Porter Moser would have recruited either one of those guys. It's an impossible question mm-hmm. to answer if he had been the OU coach the year prior, all that stuff. But I think that's important context. But I also think on the flip side of that, the other important context is we know what Porter Moser wants to be, which is a coach where this team grows old together. Well, suddenly you're looking at Nolan, who was a Big 12 all-freshman guy, last season who was just a non-factor on this team his minutes went a lot to Bijan Cortez and, and Milo Susan kind of split those well now Cortez is gone if you don't get Grant Sherfield to come back next year your backcourt as far as experienced guys go is Milo Susan and that's it so you're either gonna have to hit the portal again where Porter Moser has not had great success as far as bringing in actual impact guys as Oklahoma's missed two tournaments in a row right so I, I think that that's where it becomes tough is you, you didn't I, like, I think Bijan Cortez is the same player today that he was when he stepped on campus at Oklahoma from what we saw. So you didn't see any development for me other than just giving him more minutes. And now if like Grant Sherfield doesn't come back, you're relying on Uzon always kept had a ton to his game offensively outside of just driving. And then Caden Cooper and Jacob Cole, those are two true freshmen. They're going to come in and play in the big 12. So that puts a lot of pressure in for Porter to go get impact guys out of the portal. Hasn't really done that. Yeah. You know, not trying to come off like I'm sunshine pumping or something, but I mean, if you ask me in January, pick three guys in this roster, you think will definitely transfer. I probably would have picked these three, like Benny CJ, uh, CJ Nolan and B Shane Cortez. These were guys that I thought the writing was on the wall. that They would not be back for a long time. So these were already gone. These guys were already gone in my opinion. So we still have wait. We're still waiting decisions on some of these other guys that are of bigger note. Jalen Hill's the biggest one for me. What is he doing? Grant Sherfield too. Um, but the, and the other thing here is, you know, fans are funny because the team went 15 and 17. They were two games below 500. You can't just bring back the entire roster and expect it to be different. You gotta, you, you kind of need spots to be open. So losing some bench guys, I don't think, I get, you know, it's not to disparage any of these guys as players or people. And uh, we all like Bijan. He's Oklahoma kid. I get all that. But, you know, you, you got to you gotta clear up some spots somewhere. And these guys were bench players on a bad team. So it, it's what you got to do, right? I mean, that's what we talk about in football, too. All the guys they lost in the portal, Brent Venables talked about it. You know, eh, we're not really too concerned about what we've lost. Same kind of deal. Just losing a player in and of itself isn't always a bad thing. So we'll see where those guys end up. I mean, I, it's always again the market. Does anybody think BJ is going to end up at Kansas or something? 
No, he's going to probably not be on a power five team or if he is a very low level one. So we'll see how that shakes out when that decision comes. Yeah. And just roster housekeeping. So we know that Oklahoma had a scholarship they couldn't fill last season and that Tanner Groves graduated. Right. So Caden Cooper, Jacob Cole, those guys are signed. Those are those two roster spots, those two scholarships. So now you've got it's it's going to be one for one. Every player that leaves they currently don't have a high school player signed to fill that spot. So Schroeder, that's a spot in the portal. CJ Nolan, that's a spot in the portal. Uh, Cortez, that's a spot in the portal. If Jalen Hill doesn't come back for his fifth year, so on and so forth. So whether that be through high school guys or portal, it, the math is pretty simple. Um, the two signees and then Groves in the extra roster spot, that's a wash. So anyone else that leaves via the portal, if you're trying to keep track of this throughout the offseason, that is purely a one-for-one, one, you need another portal guy to take his place or another player out of high school uh, that's a late evaluation. We'll see. I imagine Oklahoma will start adding, getting some commits here uh, before too long on the transfer portal front, so we'll update you as we find out about that. Now, flipping over to the women, season is over for them as well. Same fate as last year, um, but, but better, uh, obviously. But they go out in the second round for the second straight year. Really fun game against UCLA. They were getting just crushed at the, at the beginning. And I was texting you guys saying, this feels like last year when Notre Dame just ran them out of the building. They put together the greatest third quarter in the history of basketball to take the lead, dominated the third quarter, and then just kind of faded down the stretch. UCLA ends up beating them. So they go out in the second round again. I don't know. Put the season in memoriam here. Uh, I don't really know what to make of it. There were some bright spots. It's another good year overall, but disappointing from where we were at the beginning, I think. Because the beginning of the year, we all thought, ooh, this team's got a chance to be really good. And in the end, they go out in the same round as last year. You know, it kind of feels like a, a lateral move, even though you brought back a lot of your team. A little disappointing, I think, uh, for overall for, for Bronchek's squad in year two. Yes, it's about what I expected, Josh. Um they, I think they maximize their talent. I really do. Uh, they ran into kind of like last year, Kent ran into a not a great matchup for them. Athletic, long team in the second round um, with a lot of experience and a lot of youth. Number one recruiting class in the country on that UCLA squad. Uh, they're all freshmen this year, so about about what I expected. What I didn't expect was for them to get down eighteen points in the second quarter and then. Uh, be down 13 at halftime and come all the way back and lead by four in the third quarter. I did not expect that. I thought they were going to get blown out like they did with uh, with Notre Dame last year. Uh-huh. Uh, Anna Lanusa came up, man. She 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 you know she'd been struggling in recent games. You look at her daily output uh, game by game, and it's you know a low number of turn a low number of points and a high number of turnovers. She cut that out. Lanusa came out and in the third quarter and just started raining threes and turned the fortunes of the team around, gave them a little spark at the, at the end of the second quarter, and then third quarter they rode that. It was pretty impressive. What got me was at the end of the game, you're down two points, and then it stretches to four, and then it stretches to six, and you look up at the clock, and there's two and a half minutes left, and you're like, wait a minute, where did this game get away from us? Uh, and you look over on the bench, and there's the NCAA's all-time leading scorer over there sitting on the bench with like two fouls or one foul or whatever. Like, wait a minute, did she, is she in foul trouble? Is she hurt? What's going on there? Taylor Robertson just was not effective that game. Um, They defended her. They chased her. And we talk about how great basketball is in the big 12, but they chased her and defended her and denied her everywhere she went. She couldn't catch the ball. 
when she did catch it, she couldn't shoot it. She couldn't dribble it around anybody because they were right up on her. Like I said earlier, so athletic. So if you're going to, if you're down six with two minutes left or eight or nine, I think it got up to double digits at one point. I think it got to 11, but they ended up losing, I think by nine. Uh, if you're down more than one possession in the final minute, minute and a half, two minutes, you're going to need the best three-point shooter in history, and she was over there on the bench. I'm not knocking the coaching. I'm not knocking Taylor. I'm just saying that's where this team found itself with locking into needing a three-point shooter and that three-point shooter being unable to do anything to the point where they put her on the bench. It was mind-blowing how that shook out. Yeah, and it, it was... I think you saw this from when we talk about they struggle with the elite teams. Well, here's what the elite teams did. They said, you are not even going to get the ball to Taylor Robertson on the offensive end of the floor. And then defensively, this is a knock on her. She is someone that athletic teams attack and win over and over and over again. And you saw Taylor Robertson couldn't stay in front of anybody defensively in the first half. And, I, and a lot of that run came because they were playing good defense and then getting out and running in transition. It wasn't like they were getting right over mid-court, dumping it to Robertson, and she was draining threes to, to get him back into that game. And so I think that you just saw with Jenny Baranchek, or, or when Sherry Cole had this program humming, like the last two years, that would be like the baseline of you have to win a tournament game and be in a fight to go to the Sweet 16. That was like the, the baseline of what you expected out of those teams. I think that Jenny Baranchek came in, and in her first two years, without really adding a ton of people to the roster, got Oklahoma straight back to that point. And so now they're going to turn the page. The The three super seniors are going to move along. And you've already got Peyton Verholst, the former top 15 recruit, the Louisville transfer, who will be on this roster next year. I think that's what will be exciting is now you, you can transition. And this is going to be even more what, what Jenny Baranchek's fingerprints on this program. Interesting to see what that next step is going to be next year. Is It'll be kind of a year of transition for Oklahoma coming off of the big three era. I've told you guys before, my wife uh, knows a lot about basketball, um, played high, played at a good level of basketball in Oklahoma, was an all-state type player. She's my thunder muse, right? When I used to have a radio show, I would go to her and say, what do you think about this player? What do you think about that player? Or what, are the, what they're doing? With? So she knows, I'm not kidding around, she knows basketball. She sat down with me to watch a couple of games this year, and every, just about every time she did, she was like, how is that number 30, the three-point queen of all time when they don't set any screens for her the, their offense is predicated on if she can get open over here in the corner we'll pass it away from her a couple of times and get it back to her to where she can shoot it they're not actively yeah. seeking her to shoot the ball in terms of we got to get let's let's get her on some motion away from the basketball we'll get her over here and then we'll set screens we'll set some down screens or we'll set some screens up top or something like that away from the ball to free her up and it just, I was, I told her that several times as well. It's like, that's not what this, that's not the way this offense runs. Some, for some reason, if, if I've got somebody who can shoot the ball at 45, 46%, I'm making sure they're getting open. Uh, I'm running a, some offensive linemen out there if I have to. And that's the thing. Oklahoma's got bodies that they can do that with. They've got bodies on the bench that they can go out there and set screens. I just didn't see it this year. So maybe uh, with the way, you know, and that's another thing. This did not look like a team that averaged 83 in the NCAA tournament, either game, that averaged 83 points a game. Second in the nation. Uh, they're, they're first in the nation in assists, second in the nation in um, scoring. In the NCAA tournament, it did not look like that type of team. On the bright side for Oklahoma, 
Jordy Bronchek, star. Oh yeah, star in the making. She was the uh, she, <laughs> she stole the show, didn't she? Stole She's a future the future coach, uh, future player, and future coach. You can tell. Stole the show big time. She was making the waves on uh, basically every social media account, ESPN, Bleacher Report, even like Barcel Sports. They were all pumping the Jordy Bronchek uh, content, and rightfully so. Yeah, Jordy B's built different in Norman. <laughs> Jordy B's, she was great. If you didn't see that, look it up. Um, Jordy Bronchek. Jenny Brodzak's daughter was mic'd up. She's like eight years old, I think. Yeah. Great. Phenomenal content. We need an alternate telecast of just, if that Sooner Vision ESPN Plus knows what they're doing, they'll have an alternate telecast next year of just Jordy Bronchek and uh, her reactions to each play throughout the season. My I would, favorite part was when she, like was, she was like getting on the refs. Yes. And it was like a coach gets on the ref, and then she finishes it with, that's not fair. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> Come on, you're calling, on that. Call the foul. You're calling it down here. It's not fair. <laughs> I just love when they were on that big run in that third quarter and they, they showed her. She just, let's go. Was just, that was great. My, it was phenomenal. It was awesome. I loved not the mic'd up segments, but when they would cut back to the video of her. And uh, at later points in the game, and Bronchek, the youngest, was sitting right beside her as yeah. well, Ginny's other daughter. And she was like, looked like she was like reading the back of like a Sour Patch Kids box, with like just laying across this. And it's like uh, the whole family is just into it as intense as possible. And I was like, this is just the perfect proof that like every child has their own personality. And, <laughs> and you've got one that's, you know, uh, just a mini Ginny. And then the other daughter is like, this is great and all, but these Sour Patch Kids are exhilarating. And I just, uh, I, I, it's late. I want to go to sleep. And it, it was just like adorable. How much are we going to see that video whenever Jordy Bronchick is suiting up for the Sooners in <laughs> 10 years? It's going to be all over. We're going to just re recycle the, uh, the internet. Just to tie it up real quick, too. I said it last week, half joking, but also not joking at all. This is not the worst thing because South Carolina awaits. Yeah. And that, Probably would not have gone well. Good at luck, all. UCLA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want to win. At the end of the day, you want to win. You want to get to the Sweet Sixteen. Not saying that, but this situ- this scenario where you battled and you had a hard fought game and you lose a, a close game, is not the worst case scenario because South Carolina may beat UCLA by like forty. <laughs> that that could happen. So uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. But that that was on the table, and it'll be really weird next year. Just. Taylor Robertson, Maddie Williams, Ani Yunusa not being on that team. They've been on that team forever. And uh, wish them well. Maddie Williams, probably a first-round draft pick, I, I presume, in the WNBA. So, Did you guys see the note I had on uh, Ana Yunusa signing with the Sooners at the age of 17 when she, when she signed with OU, um, the number one ranked player, number two ranked player in the country in this year's class was 12 years old. That plays for UCLA. So the girl that was 12 oh years old Lord. plays for UCLA when Yanusa signed. That's how long they've been at Oklahoma. Choctaw, right? Yeah. Choctaw, Oklahoma. Yeah. Local, local product. So yeah. Uh, wish them, it, it'd just be weird. It'd just be weird. They've been on the roster for back when I went to school at OU, though those players were on the roster. Um, so 2017. Strange to them not to be around. Shifting over to the Diamond Sports to wrap things up, softball. Just molly whopping people at the uh, Hall of Fame 
Classic. Ryan, you were there for pretty much the entire thing. And OKC, what was it like? What was the environment like? And uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot of new ground to cover. I say the same thing every week because I never know what to say. They just keep crushing people. I mean, what, what can you add? Yeah, the uh, this year's Hall of Fame Classic felt a little bit different than last year. They still sold out that lower at Hall of Fame, which is like 5,000 seats. But the weather was brutal. And so that was something both on the cold front, that Friday, a, a cagey kind of 2-1 win over Northwestern that never felt like it was going to be a loss. But th- there were points in the third and fourth inning. You're like, hey, this game's moving on really quick. The offense isn't really producing, things like that. But uh Nicole May, she was electric. She did give up her first run. She went 49 innings without giving up a run. So Stop the season. I know. Stop it's the season. Shut down. Complete wash right now. Pull the All American campaign. Run. Yeah, the All American campaign is done. It's over. No, uh, Nicole May, Patty Gasso. We, everyone had a laugh about that of how Patty was like. I think more than anything, Nicole might be a little relieved that. They got the win, and people aren't going to be talking about the 0.00 ERA in the background. But for me, I thought in two dominant wins over Auburn, future SEC, number 19 in the number nineteen ranked team in the country. Uh, for me, I thought the big story, though, Jada Coleman has officially come online, come alive. We heard a lot about her power in the preseason, and it felt like through the first two weekends, Jada Coleman was maybe forcing things. She's stepped back. She just looks calm, relaxed, comfortable, her usual productive self. And now the home runs are coming. She's tied for the team lead with seven home runs. She leads the team in batting average. She's getting on base 62% of time. She's in the top five in the country in batting average, all that. Big 12 player of the week. Oklahoma's first Big 12 player of the week. Straka was pitcher of the week a couple weeks ago. Which is crazy. Yeah, which it, well, it's intentional. Uh, anyway, neither uh, listen, the voters who vote on this are members of the media, as far as I know. I don't think it's coming from the conference office, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It It's, uh, for you to have been doing that, you are looking for reasons to find other players uh, because Oklahoma's far like Oklahoma state's the number two team in the country. And there's a clear gap for me between them, between the two of them. It's, it's not even close. So, uh, but that for me is that got going now, Patty Gasso, she's transitioning over. They call that the first third of the season. For those of you that are doing math, they're halfway through the regular season. So that shows you what the expectations are for this program. That that's just a third of the season. Now they've got conference play. They are going to uh, torch an awful Iowa State program this weekend. Quick note, two games on Saturday. Because of weather, the Sunday game has been moved up, doubleheader on Saturday. And basically, we're biding time until OU Texas next weekend. You know, Ryan, I told you that uh, Grace Lyons must be out again from the lineup because she stood too close to Alex Storacco. She got radiation poisoning from Storacco, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable how good she was at in Oklahoma City, how she kind of sparked things to life. You know, they went with Kirsten Deal in the opener, and everybody was just, just kind of a flat. Offense was flat. Pitching was flat. Nothing was really happening. They put Storacco in, and everybody's blood pressure shot up. That's what she does. And then what do they do? They bring in, uh, <laughs> they bring in Jordy Ball, last year's freshman of the year, who – has been up and down. Let's be honest. She's allowed a ton of walks. She's hit people. She's given up home runs. Uh, ERA is like 2.4, I think it was. Jordy Ball was the best she's been all season. And then you've got Nicole May, who is dealing, absolutely dealing this year with uh, her streak of earned run average, not uh, earned runs, not being allowed 0.0. So 
those three things together, those the way those girls are pitching, they're better. They, they've, they've still got some some transfers who are who are figuring some things out and some young players who are figuring some things out. As long as those three pitchers are pitching like that, they're better than they have been the last two years. That's phenomenal to me. Since that Baylor loss, it has not been pretty uh, for teams that they're playing. Um, we'll see how they keep it going. Like Ryan said, that big Texas series coming up next week. Um, that'll be fun to see. i got to imagine it's hard for them to just stay – locked in all the time um texas will be easy in a bedlam that'll be easy but these other games that are just you know iowa state this weekend is a good example it's just they're they're so much better than everyone that it's got to be hard to just put on your game face every time when you know that there's almost no chance you lose so we'll see how uh how they do this weekend up there in ames that's cold weather um so we'll see we'll see how that goes uh this weekend on the baseball side to wrap things up Good way to open up Big 12 play. They beat TCU uh, two out of three over the weekend. TCU was a top 15 team almost anywhere you look. They came to Norman, and they, they beat them in the first game, uh, put up a big run total too. But they came back, and OU got the Saturday and Sunday affairs to get off to a good start in conference play, which is big. If you guys remember, obviously last year they made a run at winning the Big 12, but they were playing from behind the whole year because they got off to a slow start in conference play. So this year you come out, you get off to a nice 2-1 and one opening against one of the better teams in the league. Um, they did lose last night to Dallas Baptist. They haven't been able to quite recapture that midweek magic that they had last year where it seemed like they never lost midweeks. They actually dropped a few uh, this time around. Which, I mean, the midweek games, I'm not going to say they don't matter because they do. They count the same as the weekends. But you're not starting your best pitchers. You're giving guys days off. You know, it, this, this kind of things are going to happen. Um, so they've lost some midweek games, but overall they're still playing really well. That's a really nice series win over TCU, and uh, we'll see if they can continue to build on it. But more of these young guys continue to the, – the latest is Rocco Garza-Gungora, who has just been awesome uh, for, for OU the last few weeks. Dakota Harris picks up Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. That's two straight weeks as Sooners won that. A lot of momentum right now, and uh, we'll see if they can ride it into uh, – Manhattan this weekend against the fighting Pete Hughes and uh, Kansas State. But uh, a lot of momentum right now. We'll see if they can keep it up. Last night should have been a win, though, Josh. Dallas Baptist, you're up in the ninth inning. You're up by a run, and you give up three runs in the ninth. You put two runners it's, uh, on in scoring position in the bottom of the ninth and don't get them across. It's like this, yeah, midweek, this midweek mojo that they're fighting right now. Uh, Garza Gangora, though, with the two bunts, uh, did you the uh, seventh inning and or uh, maybe it was seventh inning and ninth inning? They played a shift on him late, and he lays he, he sat, had a sacrifice bump, but then they played a shift on him late, and he just was like, "Oh, you're going to shift? Okay, I'll hit it to that spot that you're not shifted down third baseline." That was impressive. <laughs> yeah, for for me, Josh, I guess from first off, Oklahoma still has that they never feel like they're out of a game. That was one of the tenets last year of, of what they yeah. did it, that TCU game on Sunday. It was what, not one, but two comebacks to make that thing happen. But for me last night, uh, that DBU game, yes, you got to win that from that position. But I also wonder if skip will look at that as a young guy on the mound in the ninth inning, that experience, you'd rather that happen in the midweek and, and try to learn from that. than sure. than the big 12 play. Cause I believe uh, early, 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 but, that two and one star is aren't there what three teams tied at, at two and one at the top of the Big Twelve through the first weekend basically? 
Yeah, I mean, you had OSU drop their first series, too, against Texas Tech, which is probably going to be notable, you know, down the road. Yeah, the closer spot is the one spot right now that you're trying to figure out because that was such a luxury last year with Trevin Michael. He was so good, and Aaron Weber's been good. So I don't want to overreact to one outing, but, you know, he didn't have it last night. He was very erratic, three walks, walked the bases loaded, and then gave a two-run single up the middle. Um, I mean, that that's, you know... The if, if anything from your closer, you want to know he's going to throw strikes. You don't want to walk people at the end of the game. So he's been really good. Don't overact to one outing, but that was rough. And uh, so we'll see how he bounces back this weekend. I'm sure he'll get tossed into the fire right away again uh, this weekend. But um, yeah, we'll see how they do. I mean, there, there's some reasons. To, there's still reasons to be optimistic right now. Tough loss though, like we've said, uh, a bit of a gut punch last night and uh, matchup with Pete Hughes this weekend. Always fun to see that. All right, I think that's it. Any last things before we uh, send people on their way? Stay tuned for all the uh, spring football practice videos, interviews, stories, everything else that's coming your way, allsooners.com. Yeah, more more videos flooding Thursday, and and the print content will be steady from now until, you know, late, late April when we put a bow on spring football with the spring game. Fun time of year. Um, right now with spring football starting and the, the di- basketball is now in the rear view for both OU teams and the diamond sports, the seasons always get, they get late early, they get late quick. They get late early, the, the, the diamond sports. Cause it's like, it's almost April, you know, and that's like the home stretch of the season all of a sudden for, uh, for both softball and baseball. So fun time of year. And, uh, we'll be back next week to recap it all here on the podcast. Of course, keep up with all for all the latest from spring camp. Uh, as like we said, we've got more availabilities and practices and all that kind of good stuff coming up in the next week before next week's show. We'll be back next Wednesday to wrap things up um, from spring camp as well as the latest with the Diamond Sports and other news from football and basketball and the like. You can catch that show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post it on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the players on, on your phone, your tablet, or your computer, and you can watch all the shows on his YouTube page as well, John Hoover Media. That's it. We'll be back next whatever day Spring we're at the mercy of spring practice. But we'll be back next week. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calibay. We'll catch you guys next time.